Welcome to the Family Alpha Podcast, a place where men, families, and the truth have a voice. The information shared on this podcast is meant to be applied. Now, here is your host, Zach Small, founder of thefamilyalpha.com and co-founder of thefraternityofexcellence.com. Let's get to work. Welcome to another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Small, and today I'm joined by Nick Lowry, founder of Ground Shark Coffee, the best coffee that's on the market, and now professional jujitsu fighter or jujitsuer. I'm not sure how to term that yet, but I will figure it out. Nick is a repeat guest on the Family Alpha Podcast. Normally, we're talking business, we're talking life, you know, these different theories behind how to be successful and to keep yourself driven. But today, we're going to be talking about Nick's adventure, Nick's story. Of, of a kid looking to become a professional fighter to us being able to watch him, you know, live streaming inside the fraternity of excellence compete in his first professional Brazilian jiu-jitsu fight. Nick, I'm very happy to hear this story. I'm very excited to hear, you know, the journey that you took, the highs, the lows, you know, and for those who are listening that might be wanting to get into this arena and maybe start taking on jujitsu or like myself, Muay Thai, you know, something. I think your story is one that's filled with inspiration and it's one that's going to answer a lot of questions and offer a perspective not many people get to hear. So with that, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, dude. Yeah, um, I'm excited to, to actually be here and be able to tell it. It's, a, it's kind of a cool story, man. It's like it's like we were talking about before we went live. It's such a cool, uh, cool thing to actually be able to share it right after it happened and to be at, you know, kind of an entry level. Um, got my purple belt back in October. And I've always told myself since I got my wife, since I first started training back in 20, January of 2017, that whenever I got my purple belt, I'd be trying to get on the pro stage. And uh, now to, you know, get my purple belt and what, three months later, be able to do that. It's just been in a lot of ways a dream come true. So it's exciting. Well, it's intense, you know, being a spectator in all of this, I'm sitting here watching you and you know, I've seen the the training, I've seen the the injuries overcome, you know, I, I've been able to see all that. And then for it to go to the stage, like, dude, when when we were watching it, and you walked on that mat, like my heart was pounding. And I, I couldn't imagine like everything. And that was the culmination, you know, and it's not that this is the end, it's not the finish line. But it was what you had trained for, and you hit it and you mm. performed. And what was that three days ago, four days ago, that happened? What today's Wednesday? Yeah, it was Sunday. So I guess three days ago now. So three days ago, you had your first fight. Three day, 72 hours later, we're having a talk about it. So everybody that's listening, pay attention because this is fresh. So let's bring it back to the beginning. What got you into jujitsu? Just wanted to fight, man. I, um, I was, I've talked about this before, but I had always wanted to compete at just the highest level I could. And I absolutely fell in love with the sport of lacrosse back in uh, my freshman year of high school. So that was like, what, 09? 2010 sometime around there and uh you know i fell in love with it and played it all through high school played in college you know won a national championship on my college team and then you know fell out of love with it and it was at the end of the fall of my junior year i left the team and you know a big part of leaving that team was realizing that what i was doing that all those skills that i was developing on the lacrosse field they're only really applicable on the lacrosse field. You know, it's, it's not a sport that changes the rest of your life. It, 
obviously there's the lessons you learn from competing at a high level and from uh, just athletics in general and how much they teach you about hard work and brotherhood and teamwork and leading yourself. And, you know, if you're in a captain position, leading the team and all of that, like, so there's obviously those soft skills that were really invaluable, but what I was doing on the field, wasn't changing my life in a way that I felt like getting into a serious martial art would. And, you know, growing up, I had never been in a fight and I kind of had this idea in my head that like, everybody needs to get punched in the mouth at least once. And like to really understand what it's like when you're on the shit end of a fight. And I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm I'm not really not feeling lacrosse anymore. I'm not really getting out the investment that I want. And I've always wanted to fight. So let's walk into this MMA gym. So I walked in and I got local, a couple gyms. And there was one specifically that I really liked. I really liked the atmosphere. And uh, I was like, all right, like my eventual goal is to step in the MMA cage. And I don't know if I want to start with jujitsu or Muay Thai or, or something else. And when I was talking to the guy who signed me up, Travis, who I actually still train with every now and then, um, he was like, well, you get a free unit, whichever one you pick, Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu, you get a free uniform. And at the time I was a junior in college and I was broke as hell. And I was like, all right, well, which one's more expensive? And he's like, well, Muay Thai is just a t-shirt and shorts. Jiu-Jitsu is a little bit more expensive. I was like, Jiu-Jitsu it is. So I got a free Jiu-Jitsu gi and just ran with it. And I've been training since. And that was almost exactly five years ago. You know, when people hear the the origin story of somebody, they think it's this grand thing. You're just being cheap. <laughs> you just wanted the free gi. Yeah, dude. <laughs> broke as fuck. Like, <laughs> like living off my parents' out-of-state tuition. Like, fuck, man. It was expensive as hell. And so, you know, and, and it's funny because now looking back, Muay Thai probably would have been the cheaper choice long-term simply because jujitsu causes so many little injuries all the time. You very rarely have like serious life-changing injuries, but like I've been injured to some degree for like three or four years now. Um, usually small shit, you know, tweaked fingers, sprained ankle, sprained shoulder, pop, popped ribs, stuff like that. Nothing that changes everything, but just annoyance all the time. So chiropractor, PT, it costs, they add up. Jujitsu gear, just like the keys and rash guards and stuff. All that shit adds up. I never do anything different. You mentioned something. You mentioned the atmosphere and how you went to a few gyms before selecting the one you went to for those who are, like I said, they're walking, trying to figure it out. What did you mean by that? What was the atmosphere that was pulled you in as opposed to the other ones that might've pushed you away? So I think I went to, I think I went to three gyms. One was a boxing gym. One was a jujitsu and Muay Thai gym. And one was the gym I wound up signing up at, which was an MMA gym. The boxing gym was cool, but it was, it was more of a, a little bit more exercise focused than like actually fighting. Um, the other gym that I tried out seemed like a really good gym, but they had, it was more expensive because you had to pay for just jujitsu or just Muay Thai, or you could pay a higher rate for both. Um, and my gym was a one rate that was a little bit higher than specifically one or the other at the other gym, but lower than paying for both of them at the other gym. So that's part of the reason it caught my eye in the first place. And then the guy who signed me up and the other guys I've met just seemed like really, really cool people where the other gym that I had that I was looking at seemed a little bit more like plastic, if that makes sense, like a globo gym type. You mean like commercialized? Yeah. Yeah. So do gyms fall under the same category as, you know, when you think of food shops, it's like that hole in the wall has the best deli sandwiches. Yeah, dude. But it's because yeah. they're not a subway, you know, they're not 
refined. Yep. yep. So there's a uh, there's a really cool. So there's a, a website called Flow Sports that has a the Flow Grappling um, uh, like channel, right? And the Flow Grappling guys, all, they always put out these movies every so often, like little biopics about big stories in the jujitsu and in the grappling world overall. And they put one out like last last year called Daisy Fresh. It's this short series of maybe five or six episodes that are all like 30 minutes long. And it's about this uh, little jujitsu gym in the middle of Mount Vernon, Illinois, which is middle of nowhere. And these guys bought an old laundromat and put some mats in it. And they didn't even take the laundromat sign down. Like if you don't know where the gym is, you're not going to find it because it just has this sign that says Daisy Fresh Laundromat outside. But they're known as Pedigo Fighting Sports, Pedigo Fighting, something like that, Pedigo Fighting Sports, I think. And, uh, dude, they're crushing it. They're all over the fucking place. They're beating names that no one would ever expect some little town in Mount Vernon to be beating. And, like, they're just absolutely on fire in the last year or two. And they just work really fucking hard. They don't have AC. They don't have heating in the gym. They might have heating now, but they didn't. Um, and like half the dudes literally sleep on the mats and it's just this gross hole in the wall. They got like raccoon family living in the ceiling, like all this shit, but they just train really fucking hard. That's all you need. You know, I want to get back to your story and the, the timeline going forward, but I, this is really hitting me personally because I'm, I'm at a point now in my life where, like I said, I had my first Muay Thai class, my first mm-hmm. introduction to combat sports. You are literally a professional. So I'm looking at this from the, the amateur's angle, you know, and the way I see it when, when men are going to these gyms and I really like the place I'm at, it's, it's yeah, yeah. pretty cool, but is it a proper etiquette for to ask or to look at who's coming out of this gym? Like what type of fighters are here? Is that something you can walk in and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm looking to learn this sport. I'm looking to actually actually get into it and not just, you know, spend six months to get a block, a black belt or whatever, you know, is that okay to ask them? Or do you go in and say, Hey, I want who have you trained? Why are you a good gym? Six months to get a black belt. <laughs> no, I was thinking those commercialized. Belt? No, I'm saying, you know, those commercialized places, they sell the sure, belts, you know? Sure, sure, sure. There's a couple of big gyms out there, and I won't name any names because everyone's got their own opinions. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's really not too far. It's not, it's not bad etiquette at all to ask who's come out of the gym. It's also not bad etiquette to ask the lineage. Um of just who gave that person his black belt or who he trained under. And, and honestly, if it's a good gym, like he's probably proud of it. He probably displays something about it on the wall. He's probably got photos or fight posters or medals, things like that on the wall. Um, everybody does, man. Like if I owned a gym and I had a UFC fighter come out of it, that motherfucker's face would be plastered all over the walls. I'd be so proud of him. Um, but also you call me professional and like, you're obviously not wrong. Like I just had my first pro match, but it's also like, it's a small promotion. Um, it's my first one. Like I train with guys who are just levels and levels and levels ahead of me. And there's so many people out there. So I don't want to, I don't want any of the listeners to ever think that I'm sitting here walking around like, yeah, I'm a fucking pro. It's like, no, I just like, we're there, but we're not there. If that makes sense. And I don't want to, I don't want to give that impression. No, that's good. You definitely don't want like somebody who's got all the stacks of fights under them to come here and be like, all right, pro let's go. You know? So I'm, yeah. But I think there are tears to it. I think when you're in it and the higher up you go, you realize the little amount you know, even having that many fights under your belt, where somebody Absolutely. like myself or, or others outside looking in, like, oh, you had one big fight. So you're, you're damn near UFC. You know, it's, it's those optics that people don't know what they don't know. 
So it's right. good that you clarify. And also that's, you've got to maintain your reputation. The guy yeah, who walks sure. around, you know, chest out, shoulders back is going to be challenged real quick. You want to maintain that respect. Yeah. And I, don't get me wrong. Like I'm tremendously proud of the match on Sunday and, and everything else. Um, and I'm absolutely fucking stoked that I like, he wants me to come back and everything else. Um, so it's like, we're getting started, right? It's like the rookie season, you know? So with that, you went from, you joined the gym, you wanted the fight. At what point did you realize, you know, and I'm, I actually want to go all in on this. Like I want to go out and actually compete in this instead of just rolling around with these dudes in the gym. That was was it a moment? No. So that's from the beginning. You wanted to do that. From before I walked in the gym. Cause like, I, like I said, like I was playing lacrosse at like a really high level, you know, playing in college and I had been competing my entire life. And the way I see it, if you're not competing, you're wasting your fucking time. And, and I say that like, obviously there's extenuating circumstances. And like, if you're an old, if you're older and like, you just are, you don't have the body for it anymore, uh, whatever else. Or if you did compete and you're retired, like, obviously there's a lot to be said for all of that. But as someone getting into jujitsu or a combat sport, if you're not competing, you're wasting your time. I really believe that. We were talking earlier. I'm 33 now, you know, and I understand I'm late in the game, but mm-hmm. I, I want to fight. And yeah. I'm going to make that clear. You know, I think after I get some more reps with the the trainer, he'll, we'll have that discussion and get me on that path. And I just got to train and take care of my body. And I understand that. But for you, what are the, what are the progressions? Like, did you have to achieve so many wins to get to the point where this was brought to you? No, it's, it's kind of funny, man. And it's, it goes back to the whole network thing where like your network is your net worth. Um, so let's bring it back to when I started ground shark, because a lot of that was integral in all of this. Um, I started that with one of my jujitsu teammates. Um, and we obviously focused on the jujitsu mission and and all of that. And somewhere along the way, we were running this ad that caught the attention of this girl down in Texas. And she is kind of a coach at her, uh, her jujitsu gym. And she reached out, she wanted her gym to start selling our coffee. So got to know her, all of that. And then in November, wound up going down there. We absolutely hit it off, started dating. Her coach runs the promotion. And so kind of through all of that connection, I wound up like dating this girl and talking to her coach about it and all that shit. And he's like, well, next time, like, next time you come down, like, we start talking about the fights and all of that. And so I, that's kind of how I wound up with the connection um, to the coach. And it's, I see you smiling. It's just to be clear. I, you slept your way to the top. No, 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 no That's no, no. what I'm hearing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, maybe no. So I'm, <laughs> so the, the point, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like you more often than not with, um, things like this, there's not necessarily a record that goes into getting your first shot on a pro promotion. Um, on Maybe on a higher, like on a bigger promotion, they might look at your record on a smaller promotion or all of that. But I know with Fight to Win, which is the biggest promotion in jiu-jitsu right now, um, a lot of it is reputation. It really comes down to like, if you know, if you know the promoter, it's much, much, much easier to get a fight. And that's kind of the point of, of telling that story. Right. And like, if you don't know the promoter, then if you've got a really good record in like tournaments and in, 
higher level tournaments or if they know your name or things like that. Like Seth, the guy who runs Fight to Win, I know that like I've never talked to him personally, but he knows about Ground Shark and he trains out of Denver. He actually trains out of one of the gyms in the family that I originally didn't like. And that's another thing. Um, you talking about lineage, like asking about lineage and what fighters comes out of here and all of that. It's like that matters at the higher levels. But when you're starting out, when you're just walking into a gym, find one that gives you the vibe you're looking for at the time and just sign up. Like you're learning, if you're a white belt, you could be learning from a blue, purple, brown, black, or just a more advanced white belt. You're still going to be learning. Um, it doesn't matter when you first start, just get on the mats. And over time, you start learning more about the community overall and the community in your city and all of that. And like now looking back, I would have signed up at that first gym that I originally didn't like. And that's partly because I now know that they have a bigger pull in the community. What's interesting about that too, is I think there's an intimidation factor, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you want to go to the place that seems more, more welcoming. Cause yeah, when you're new, being the new guy sucks. You know, I, mm-hmm. I felt like a fool the first time I went in, but I, I overcame that. And I learned and I was following teenagers around and I'm an yeah. adult me and I'm chasing them to figure out the ropes. That's how it and, goes. But I've, I've worked on that significantly in my life. You know, it's one of the things I really promote here. So for those who are intimidated, I think that message, you know, is a strong one is just go get started. If, if you think that the gym that's in your local town isn't the best, but it's all you have access to, then start there for now until you move or until something else opens up, you know, or if you think that gym is too rough and, but there's the only one there. Just go face it. You go go sit down, you know, get a few days with those guys. I, I think those who put themselves out there are welcomed much more than people want to admit. You know, you're a fighter, you know, but you're probably more welcoming to new guys wanting to learn than anybody else out there because Absolutely. you know what it's like to be new, you know? Yeah, dude. I mean, just the balls to show up. You know, my my girl had a fight on that promotion too on Sunday. And it was funny because before she stepped on the mats, I like kind of looked at her and I was like, I'm proud of you. She was like, why? She's like, I haven't even got out there yet. I'm like, because you're fucking here. You're showing up. I saw you last night. I saw how much of a mess you were. You saw how much of a mess I was, but we're both still fucking here. And that is, that's the hardest part, honestly. I mean, that's big. And you know, when we first did this, I considered getting both of you on, but I wanted to just grease the grooves <laughs> here. And then maybe the next one, we'll get, you know, the fighting couple on and get a conversation going. Because that, that's training, man. That, dude, that's an awesome dynamic <laughs> you have there. Like, that's really cool. But so let's bring this yeah. back. You've been training for, for years now. You've been sticking it through. Wear and tear does start to, to creep up. So before you were offered this fight, what kept you going to overcome those injuries? You know, what made you want to stick with it, even though you were getting busted up? I just fucking love it, man. It's not even a question. There's no like, oh, man, I don't know if I should do this anymore. It's just like, no, this is what I do. Right, easy enough. So then the it's next question. Yeah, it's it's just so and I, I think it's honestly, man, it's you could ask the same question about ground shark, right? Where it's like, you know, you I've lost, dude. I did the math last year. I've lost more money than I ever want to fucking admit. Like enough that it kind of like I have, you know, I put in perspective, I have lost more money with ground shark than I made using my degree. And it's that was a big one to swallow about three weeks ago when I realized that. Um, but it's just what I do. And I know, and now like those, those tides are finally turning, you know, and I don't, I don't want to talk too much about it. I don't want to put the, the focus on that, but those tides are turning and like, we're actually starting to see a profit and those things like 
things are starting to turn around and that's just happened in the past like three or four months. Um, but it just, you, you find something and you commit to it and then it's just, you don't question it anymore. And it's really fucking scary and you're going to question it, but you also don't question it. If that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Dude. I, when I got my first tax bill, when I was full-time for me, I was, I was physically nauseous. Yeah. <laughs> we had our yeah. financial planning meeting and she's like, Oh, and so after all expenses and, you know, business write-offs, whatever, here's what's left. I was like, is that an extra zero? Like, what do you mean? That's what's, <laughs> I got to pay that. Typo, right. Like there's supposed dude. to be a decimal point here, right? Yeah. So, no. I was like, yo, Oh my God. So I yeah, learned that dude. lesson year one, you know, rookie mistake. It, it I was warned. That's the I story of how Zach became an anarchist. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> you going back out there, you know, that translates quite well. You know, you just overcome it, you know, all right, cool. I got busted up, yeah. got to overcome it. And at the, after, you know, I kind of want to talk about some of the things you faced and overcame. But when you are first presented that, hey, man, you, you got a match. It's this dude. What was the feeling? What was the first thing that flowed through you? Yeah. So let's uh, at this point, now that we've gotten all the background, let's just break it down to the story. Um, so I don't remember if it was right before or right after I popped my rib in December. But sometime in middle December, I got a DM from uh, the promoter, Joseph. And he was like, Hey, I got to fight for you. I had already applied. I already told him when I was down there that I wanted to compete. Um, and, uh, he DM me, he's like, Hey, I got you. I got you a match. Um, it's not the one you wanted, but it's at least a match. It's a Nogi. You're going up against the blue belt, which in Nogi, the belts don't matter as much. Nogi is just kind of rash guards and shorts. Um, but it's more like grappling experience overall. Wrestling wrestling matters a ton in Nogi. Um, and he's like, it's a blue belt and you're at 160 or 165 or something, 165 pounds. Um, and I was like, okay, like I'll take it, but I'd really prefer a purple belt in a gi at like 170, like a 170 to 175, if you can get it. If you can't, that's fine. Um, I'll take it, but this is, if it's out there, I'd rather have this. Uh, and he's like, okay. And then, yeah, so that was like December 15th or 16th. A couple days later, training, I popped my rib real bad. Um, I don't know. I didn't know what I did, but I knew that I left the gym and my whole back, like my whole left back strap was just locked down. I was like, oh, shit. So I got to get this figured out before this match. And then like a day or two later, he hits me up. uh, The promoter, Joseph, hits me up and he's like, hey, I got you. I got you a purple belt match at a geek, 175 yours if you want it. I was like, I will fucking take that. So at this point, I just accepted the match. I wasn't going to tell him no. I, you, you just, you don't turn down your first one, you know? And that's, I think a huge less, like a huge takeaway. Um, I've heard that Seth over at fight to win. Um, if he gives you your first opportunity and you tell him no, for any reason, you just don't fight anymore. <laughs> that was your last opportunity. Yeah. He doesn't call you back. Um, and I mean, I'm, I assume it's different if it's like he gives you and you're like, bro, I just blew out my knee yesterday. Like, I absolutely can't. Like, I'm sure that at that point, especially if you know the guy a little bit better, he's going to be a little bit more lenient. Um, and honestly, if I didn't have a personal connection with Joseph, I wouldn't have even told him that I wanted a different match when he offered the first one. Like, if it had been just an application, I had never met him. I had never trained with him. And he had given me that. I would just been like, fine, I'll take it. I wouldn't have even asked. Um, but I figured I could use a little bit of pull to get a match that was closer to what I was looking for. Um, and it worked out. So 
So I popped my back and I, at that point, once the match was confirmed, I called and texted every person I knew that might have an idea that might help me get my rib healed up faster. That was powerlifting friends. That was, I called up a new personal trainer. I went to my chiropractor. I did everything I could, man. I started taking so many supplements. I started taking 30,000 IUs of vitamin D a day because I heard that might help. Everything under the sun that someone said, this might get you a back maybe a day or two early, right? Like this might help a little bit. I was like, fuck it, I'll do it. So I've just been like taking all this bullshit, doing it all. But it, I mean, it worked. My rib, like, I kid you not, my rib felt 100% for the first time a week before the tournament or the match. Um, so that was a really good feeling. But so let's just say December 20th, because that was about the time I got the, I got the match. So it's a month out, right, when I got confirmation. So I've got effectively four weeks of injured training time dealing with my rib. Um, trying to come back. So my chiropractor thought it was broken, but my PT thought that I sprained the intercostal muscle, which was in between, which is the muscle in between the ribs. The sprain is easier to deal with, but the break where it was is fairly well protected. It's like, yeah, it was my 11th rib on my left side, right around the back. So kind of a weird spot to even break one in the first place, which is good because it means it's going to be harder to hurt it more. Um, but the PT was like, it's, you should be able, you should be back to training in a limited capacity in like a week. If you get really sharp pains, let me know. At that point, it's probably broken, but I think you just sprained and bruised it. So I start training, and you know, early January, as I'm coming back, my gym, uh, Logos Jiu-Jitsu in Denver, is uh, actually it's run by one of the top-level competitors maybe ever in Jiu-Jitsu. He's only 27, and the dude is an absolute monster. Um, he's won world titles at every single belt level white blue purple brown and black which is fucking cool um but anyway training there we do the way we do class it's an hour of instruction followed by an hour of rolling and at first i was going to the hour of instruction and then halfway through rolling my rib would be starting to light up and what my pt told me was you can train till it hurts when it stop when it hurts when it's uncomfortable that's good because you need to keep working it if it is a sprain but if it starts to hurt step out so this was a dance you had to do every time you had to go to just before and you had to gauge where my my sore or am i actually leading towards hurt yeah i i've been doing that since honestly i've been doing it with this injury since december but i've been doing that overall since i was probably a sophomore in high school with my lacrosse career um and uh so i was like whatever i'm just this one was specific because there was a very specific thing that i was trying to get ready for and um so playing that dance and then I started like getting very, very, very picky about who I was rolling with and how, what format I was rolling with them then because I only had a limited time to train. I wasn't wasting any time. I wasn't doing no gi at all because my match was in a gi. So I was like, all right, if you guys want to do no gi, I just, I'm not going to come to that if that's what you guys are doing. Cause I was not only training at logos, but I'm also training underground with a bunch of buddies scattered around. So that was a really big deal for me having access to really high level people, not only at my gym that I'm officially training under, but also in my kind of underground network that we built out through COVID um, that we just refer to as the green room because that's what the color of the mats are in my buddy's basement. And, you know, so as I'm getting ready for this, for this, I'm like 
training as hard as I can and I'm focusing and I'm really focusing on this recovery. And so I've been stretching every single day and like trying to meditate and like kind of just relax overall. And, um, as it gets closer, I stopped going to the technique portion of class. I, I wasn't, as you're getting closer to the competition, you start turning off learning mode and you start turning on kill mode. And it got to the point where I was like, I, everything new I learned is just going to mess up my head. I just need to focus on what I do best and only use my A game in training. Um, and that was something I had thought about before, but I had never actually taken the step to make it happen. Like for re- like in reality, because at my old gym, we would do just an hour of training and the first half hour was technique and the second half hour was rolling, but it was kind of a faux pas to just show up for the rolling portion at the gym and at now logos it's not as much of a faux pas and especially going up to a tournament you kind of do what you need to do or a tournament or a match um so i start showing up just for the rolling portion of class and at that point my rib had healed up enough that i could get all the way through a rolling portion but i couldn't do two hours like i had been doing so i started showing up i started picking my partners um a little bit more specifically for what i needed and i was trying to get in rounds with very very high level brown and black belts um good purple belts at my level and also blue and white belts and you know specifically there was like one or two rounds that i would pick out a white belt and i'd be like hey don't take any of this personally and i would just spend the next five minutes fucking him up like i hated him and it was it was nothing personal like now i gotta go find those guys and be like yo it's your turn like what do you need to work on let's do it because at the time it's like you have to practice against someone who doesn't who can't defend your a game so that you can actually remember what your A game is. Because at some point, the black belts and the brown belts and the purple belts who are at your level or higher, they know your A game. You train with them all the time. They know what you want to do to them. They're going to defend it. But those people that you've never trained with before, they have no clue what your A game is. But that's your so you, that's their purpose, though, right, as a part of your team? Like, that's that's their job is to be that guy in the group. You know, yeah, you kind of work team, your man. way up. Yeah, dude. It's <laughs> For sure. All right. Go ahead. I was there. I was there, too. You know, we all were. And it's one of those things that like, I try not to hurt, like in the moment I was trying not to hurt them, but I was still not chipped out pulling any punches either. Um, Cause it's like, I just gotta, I wanted to work all levels because I didn't know what he was, what I was walking into. And, um, and so there's a, there's a big kind of um, discussion, I guess, among the MMA community of like how, especially going into a, a, a uh, like an MMA fight or a professional jiu-jitsu match where you have one opponent that you know beforehand who your opponent is. Um, a lot of people look him up. They'll, they'll fight, they'll get his name. They'll look up his Instagram. They'll full, they'll go through his Facebook page. They'll do all that to see who the guy is. Um, and so people are asking me like, who you got up? And I'm like, I don't know. I remembered his name, but like, other than that, I, I don't know. I didn't look him up. I didn't want to know anything. I just saw his photo on the, his picture on the fight poster. Other than that, I didn't want to know a damn thing about it. Um, Cause it's like, if I start looking at too much at who my opponent is, I start psyching myself out. But on the flip side, back in my lacrosse days, my coach used to always put together a scouting report for us. All the coaches would stay up real late, especially in college. They would stay up really, really late at night in the playoffs and they look at who we were like playing and they find all their strengths and weaknesses and they put them out there for us. And, uh, they give us this really good scouting report. And I, I remember the scouting report having certain things in it that were like, we should, 
we should be able to deal with this. This might present some problems. But even then, it was never really there. It was mostly just that team um, compared with that team. So it was like, okay, these guys are best at this. They're very bad at this. They tried this. They do this really well. But it was never like, this is better than us or we're better than them at this, right? It was just, what are they good and bad at relative to themselves? And so I called one of uh, one of my coaches in the green room, uh, Matt Kano, he's the guy who gave me my purple belt. He's a black belt under Carlos Andrew. He called, I called him. He's like, yo, I need the scouting report on this guy. I don't want to do it. I don't want to look through it, but can you do me a huge favor and just like see if you can find any videos of his fights and let me know what he's good and bad at? Because I didn't want to do it, but I still wanted the information. And so he hits me back super quick. He's like, yo, he's, he's not really very good at very many things. He's just really, really durable. You play your game, you're going to be fine. I was like, cool. That's kind of all I needed to know, right? That's really interesting given the day and age we're in with you. Most people promoting themselves. There's videos everywhere. You're going to have your, your social media everywhere. Mm-hmm. But you didn't watch film. You just got an Intel debrief. You just had a few bullet points instead of sitting there scrolling through video after yeah. video. That's interesting. That's all I wanted, man. It's so easy to psych yourself out. And like, I don't like it when people tell me like, oh, you're better than them. Like, don't even worry. Cause it's like, dude, I have lost, I have been on the field before. Like in, I've, I've been in jujitsu matches that I've lost because I wrote him off and I've lost lacrosse games because I wrote them off. And I've been on the other end of that where we beat somebody we never should have beaten because they wrote us off. It's like, you know what, man? I don't like I'm going out there and I'm going to put it to this guy, no matter how good he is. If he's really good and I'm playing at my 100% and he still beats me good for him. But if I'm playing at my 100% and he's really bad, I'm going to fuck him up in 30 seconds, not even break a sweat and go home and be fine. I can go train on Monday. I'd rather beat a guy in 30 seconds because I thought I was preparing for him as if he was world-class than beat him in seven minutes, barely because I didn't think he was going to be that good. Yeah, I so, think that's fair, though. I mean, yeah, you don't want to to trip because you thought you'd already finished. Like the dudes who put their arms in the air before they finish the race, and the other guy flies past them and beats them. Exactly, exactly. You know, and it's I've been thinking a lot about. You know, I, I think today or yesterday was like the anniversary of Kobe's death, and uh, I've been thinking a lot about uh, his kind of mob mentality and all of that, and how he said in an interview or in his book or something, he said his supreme level of confidence came from knowing that he had done every single thing he could to be as possibly prepared as like as he possibly could. Be. Um, and, you know, that's how I was going into this. It's like, okay, I can't control that. I popped my rib two days before I got the match. I can't control that. Some other things went on. I sprained my thumb literally a week before I can't I still can't even really bend it all the way down. But it was just like, all right, tape it up and keep going. Um, but um, you can't control those things, but you can control how you respond to them. And you can control making sure that you focus on the details all the way through start to finish. And you don't slack off right before the finish line. Because I've done that before. Um, so, yeah. So, training kind of the week before the tournament or before the match um, – late like middle January was when I really started ramping it up to hundred percent. And I was like, I'm just going to go at hundred percent. And when my rib hurts, I'm stopping, but I have to teach myself again, how to go hundred percent. And so I, I think I got three or four hours in on the mats, like three or four different hour sessions on the mats at 100%. And it didn't, 
until the third one, I didn't really feel like I was going 100%. I felt like I was ramping it up and getting closer. But it took those couple sessions to really be at the point where I'm like, this is as good as I'm going to fucking get. Let's go. Um, and so then that was, I guess, last Wednesday, a week ago, was when I got my last hard session in. And then I boarded a flight to go down to Austin, hang out with the girl for a couple of days and get ready for the fight and really hit the weight cut. So when I left, I was like 182, 183. I needed to be at 175 for the fight by Saturday. And so for the weight cut, um, I learned this back in October for, at a tournament, uh, me and Kano were in, we, he taught me what he just calls a water load, which everybody and everybody weight, everybody cutting weight does at least to a little bit, but the way he does it and the way I'm doing it now, um, I weighed in Saturday afternoon. So Friday or no, Thursday was when I started it and I drank two gallons of water on Thursday and I drank three gallons of water on Friday. And that's in order to get your body like flushing all of that water out, right? You put your body into flushing mode. Saturday, no water, no food. And I woke up Saturday morning at like, I was 184 or 180. No, I was 182 after an hour's worth of yoga in the morning. So I worked up a little bit of a sweat. Um, but Friday at one point I was up at 187 for just holding all that water. Um, so it started dropping off on Saturday and the last one I, I had done, I dropped like 11 pounds in a day, no problem. But this time I was like, it just was not coming off. So you do right before you go to weigh in, you take a bath. And so you take, you get a bath as hot as you can coming out of the, coming out of the faucet. And then you pour a ton of rubbing alcohol in it and a ton of Epsom salt. And the salt and the alcohol pulls all the water out of your skin. And then if it's not hot enough still, you literally boil pots of water and dump those in. And so I had my girl do that twice or three times while I was in there for 20 minutes. And then you get out. There's photos of all of this. They're absolutely Have you hilarious. done this before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is normal. This was a second, this was, yeah, this was the second time I had done it. Uh, <laughs> but the last one I did it in October – it was like a four. So what you do is you hop in the bath for 20 minutes and then you get out and you lay on the floor and you have somebody wrap you in towels like a mummy to keep all the water in or like all that, like moisture to keep you sweating. And then you take blankets and you wrap those around the towels to keep it really hot. And you just sit there like a mummy on the floor for 20 minutes and you just sweat your balls off. Um, and the last one I did it, I dropped seven pounds in 45 minutes, like butter. It was fine. It didn't, it, it was so easy. And this time I stepped into the bath at like 179 or something, maybe 180. I don't remember exactly. I don't know why I forgot. Um, I get out of the bath, I get out of the towels and I'm like 176. I dropped like three pounds. I still had a pound to go. I was like, you fucking kidding. And by now it's like, we're coming up on the on time to go to weigh-ins. I planned on it only taking 40 minutes, so in the bath 20 out. I didn't plan on it taking longer because I didn't think it would. And so I'm like freaking out. Sarah, my girl, she's kind of like freaking out a little bit too because our scale, and this is another thing, like you never know what your scale is going to weigh you in at versus what the scale at the weigh-in site is actually going to weigh you in at either because there's always variance. Like Kano, he's got two scales and they're each weighed like two or three pounds off. Like you don't know which one's right and what's, what actually wound up happening. I 
what wound up happening with his scales, I think, is that one's like a pound and a half over, but one's like a pound low. So you just kind of spitball where you are in the middle. And so like we can't, do you have to, if you break weight, if you're overweight, do you get a certain amount of time to come back or is it done? You, you, you broke weight, you on, lose. Depends on the promotion. Every promotion has their own okay. rules. Um, and did, was all this a part of your plan when you knew yeah. you were, you were going to travel? So you don't yeah. live where the fight was. You had to, you had to yeah. travel there. You, did you yeah. factor all of this in down to the, the hour before the weigh in and all that? Like how, yeah. how in detail would you go to prep for this fight? You know, within 72 hours, which is roughly slightly, Friday, correct? Slightly autistic details. All right. So all in, all in, all in. <laughs> yeah. like egg, everything, dude. Like I, I mean, I was taking no prisoners um, with this, you know, there was, I wasn't, I wasn't eating any extra carbs that I didn't feel like I needed. I had a piece of pumpkin bread from Starbucks that I think might've been it after we trained on Friday. Um, that might've been the problem with getting rid of that last pound. Um, I was miserable, man. Like I was, I have not had, I have not been that miserable after a weight cut. I don't know ever, but I could not get that last pound off. I wanted, so you get a pound at this promotion, you got a two pound allowance, but we thought it was only a one pound allowance. And I always like to weigh in on my home scale, a pound below whatever my maximum poundage could be. Um, because I just don't know what the scale variance is going to be. And if I can, I'll go even lower. I try to shoot for like whatever the, the actual real um, division is minus a little bit. So I, and when I couldn't get that last pound off, I was like, all right, like I'm just trying to get to 175 because I would have liked to have been at 174 when we left her house or when we left the Airbnb. But I was like, if I can get to below 175 and then I can just chew some gum and spit as much as I can on the way there. Um, Cause that's another thing that people do when they get desperate. Um, and so that's what I did. I, to get off that last pound, I wound up sitting in the thing for another like 15 minutes or something. I poured in a ton more alcohol um, and finally got it down to 174.8. And I was like, good, let's go. So we hit the road and headed over there and uh, weighed in at 174.4 and uh, immediately ate this big ass salad. But everything was kind of planned, like you asked. So all of it up until then, I I've done it enough that I've done different weight cuts enough to know kind of what my body does. This was a new one. It was a little bit weirder. Um, just because I couldn't get off that last pound. And I, so I, um, but I knew that in the past when I've, that I knew in the past that rehydrating has actually been the hardest part for me because you're trying to get as much nutrients, carbs, and water as you possibly can that evening without overfeeding yourself. So for that tournament in October, I put 13 pounds on after weighing in at three in the afternoon because we went to a Brazilian steakhouse and I ate so much fucking meat and I couldn't digest it all and wound up in the middle of the tournament the next day, puking my brains out. Um, so I learned the hard way, start it with a salad because that lubes everything up and keeps things moving. So we walked out, I sat in the parking lot, ate a salad real quick, and uh, that kind of kept things moving. And then for dinner that night, I had a bunch of ground elk and some pasta because you want to eat kind of whatever you're used to. It's not the time to try anything new. You keep eating the same meals you have been eating, but you just try to do a pared down, easily digestible version of it. So instead of eating like a steak, you want like ground beef or something like that because it's a little bit easier to digest. 
Well, I think there are a lot of people that are looking at this and they think, you know, you're already 100% prepped by the time you travel, but you're, you're going through, you're not there yet. You yeah. travel and you're factoring in that process. So yeah. there, there's an element. I mean, we're two days before the fight and you're, you're doing things to ensure you can get the fight. So yeah. you, you weighed yeah. in, you made weight. Yeah. Then what does it look like? You know, reconstituting, bringing energy back. You know, you, you just cut all of that. Are you fatigued? You know, what's your mindset oh, yeah. going in? Or I guess let's go the, the night before the fight. So Saturday, where's your mindset? What do you, are you staying loose? Where are you at? So I always try to get a really good night of sleep two nights before the fight. So the, the match was Sunday. Friday night was the night. I was like, Sarah, we got to go to bed. I'm not staying up late. I'm turning off my alarm. I'm sleeping as much as we possibly can. The Airbnb had blackout shades. I think we slept into like 8.30 or 9 and like neither of us had done that. In that is fantastic. That was amazing, dude. But it's like, that's the night that I'm trying to sleep the most because the night before the fight, nerves are going to be through the roof. And I know that I'm not going to sleep super well, which is exactly what happened. I was laying in bed until like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I just go to sleep. Um, I'm telling you now, man, I grabbed my phone like three or four times. I was like, I don't want to message him because I didn't want to put anything else on you. But at the same time, I'm like, I want to talk to him. (laughs) So I fought every instinct to like, I think I sent you one, maybe two days before, but I was like radio silent today. I was like, I got to chill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's just like you, everyone has their own kind of pre, uh, pre fight ritual. I've talked to some of my other like teammates about it and everybody's kind of in their own kind of headspace before. Um, Sarah was really nervous. We we went on a walk because she was kind of up in her own head. Um, and that calmed her back down and she felt really good after that. Um, for me, a good stretch, you know, I, Really, really liked having her around the night before because it, it feels in a way, and I felt the same way back on the lacrosse team, is like it feels in a way like you're going off to war. Um, and that's a like a gross overestimation of how it actually feels. I can only imagine what it feels like to actually go off to war. But like the night before, like you just want to sit down with your girl, relax, enjoy it because you just don't know what's going to happen the next day. And like, I don't know, like, I've seen so many videos of people blasting their knees and blowing up elbows and shoulders and whatnot. And it's just like, you never know, like you might, there is a chance you sustain a life changing or career ending injury the next day. And so that's kind of on my mind. And like, you know, the odds are slim, right. But like, you never know. And I, it's the same feeling I get before I go out on a big climb in the mountains or anything like that. I'm just like, I just really want peace tonight. You're much closer to that danger. You're always yeah, aware exactly. of it. It's always to know when I, if I climb a mountain, I could die. You know, funny yeah. fact. you know, last podcast, you talked about you bringing me up a mountain that happened yeah. the night yeah. before I thought that I was like, you know, it, this could be, we could have a wild storm and we don't make it down. Yeah. And it's, it's different because you're, you're there. It's no longer hypothetical. It's like, no, we're going yeah. up that mountain or for yeah, you, yeah. you are going onto that mat with somebody who's going to give you max effort to bring you down as well. Yeah, exactly. And you know, one of the, one of the questions that one of the guys hit me with getting ready for this podcast was like, what's your mentality? Like, are you trying to break his arm if he makes you? And the funny, the funny thing about that is like in my, in Sarah's match, uh, or one of them, she had two that day, actually one of her matches, she had the girl in this arm bar and the girl wasn't tapping. And in the video, you can clearly hear me at the edge of the mat yelling at her to break that fucking arm. Cause it's like, she ain't going to tap fucking break it. You have to be ready for that. And so because of that, like, because you're going out there with the, you have to have the intent to break the other person, because if you don't have that intent, 
you might not hit something hard enough. And they're probably going to tap before you have to break it. So you're not going to have to, and everyone's going to go home happy and everything's going to be fine. But I've seen, I personally seen people break other people's arms with arm bars because they didn't tap. It's like, it happened to one of my buddies. The guy kind of fake tapped or the ref couldn't see it. He let it go. So the next time he caught it in him, he fucking broke that shit in half. And it made my, it makes my stomach queasy still thinking about watching that dude's arm do that. But it was like, whatever, man, you didn't Whoa. tap. That's fucking on you. Whoa. Right. It's not my <laughs> job to protect you. It's your job to protect you. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so like that's on my mind the night before all these different things, all these different possibilities are running through my mind. And then we had a fiasco with the dryer at the Airbnb. It wasn't like, like the, the lint screen got too stuffed full. Um, I guess, I guess Sarah didn't like check the lint screen. So the dryer got super hot, like smoked out the house. Well, my fucking ghee was in the dryer and it parked <laughs> the lapel on it shrunk a whole fuck ton. So like I had been practicing with this ghee that had a really long lapel on it that I could use to choke people with the bottom of the lapel. And I had been using those chokes a lot, getting ready for the fight. And I specifically brought this ghee because I had been wearing it. This is how detailed I was getting. I had two ghees that fit me very similarly. And I was like, I'm only going to practice in these two keys and I'm going to wear one of them in the fight because I know how it fits. I know how the grip breaks work. I know how this specific gi operates. That's how detailed I was getting with it, right? Well, then the motherfucker shrinks. <laughs> like, I don't laugh. Thing. Like, it's it's funny now, I guess. Yeah, you know? no, it's like, but there, um, that's literally the last thing you need on your mind and in your life. And here we are. Well, that's <laughs> on fire. Goes, right? That's just how it goes. And I... So it's like, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, you're right. Like now it's funny, but at the time I'm like, I got to pull out. Like I, I can't fucking fight tomorrow. Like I, there's no way I can step on the mat. I've got a sprained thumb. My rib is still kind of messed up. I jammed my middle finger. Like everything hurts. I barely made weight. Like there's no way I can fight tomorrow. And then it's like, you know what though? Everything else has gone right. I've done everything else I can. Not only that, but no one fucking trains with the people that I train with. No one steps on the mat every single day with a fucking five-time world champion like I do, right? No one fucking does that. And there's no fucking way that this dude does, right? And it's like, you know, no, no one else locked themselves in a fucking basement for nine months out of the year last year because Corona hit and we couldn't legally train. So we fucking built somebody's basement and I'm, no one else got locked into that basement with five other dudes for a couple hours every day that all five of those guys were fucking better than you, right? I was a blue belt surrounded by purple belts, brown belts, and black belts every fucking day for nine months. I had no choice but to fucking survive. And I, I'm sitting there the night before and all this is going in my head and I'm like, there's no fucking way this sorry ass motherfucker has done what I've done over the last year. Like no fucking way this motherfucker has trained like I've trained. And that's what kept me calm. I'll tell you now, and I, I've not told you this yet, so you're, you're hearing it live. I had my wife and my two kids in the shed with me, and the laptop was hooked to the TV. So you were on the big screen in here while we were Love streaming that. it. Yeah. And at one point, and we're, we'll get to the fight, so I'm not going to share too much, but you go down and you, you slap your hand down to keep yourself up. And it, it showed you had your hand taped. Yeah. And my my daughter was like, oh, you know, what, what happened to his hand? What's wrong? I was like, he, he hurt himself training. And she's like, oh, so why is he fighting? I was like, because he's hardcore. Because he's going to go out there. And he's not going to stop. My son, he's like, oh, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> like my kids saw what perseverance that's looked awesome. like. Like, through that's you, cool. they saw, like, yeah, he is hurt. But he still yeah. went out there to fight. He still did his job. 
And dude, that's, you know, thousands of miles away. Children are like getting motivated by your grit. So that that's funny because there's there's two things I want to say about that. Like the, the, we kind of have this running kind of joke, like this underhanded joke that like if you're not injured going into a fight, you didn't train hard enough. You know, it's a good it's mantra. Just, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't mean go out there and get fucking hurt, but like everybody's hurt, you know. And that's another thing I kept reminding myself. So the night before all this is going through my mind, and it's really going through my mind during warmups, getting ready. And I really, really focused on getting Sarah warmed up for her first match because it was before mine. And I knew that by helping her, I was kind of getting myself out of my own head. Um, she didn't really, she's one of those that she didn't really want to warm up. She just sat there and kind of like rocked back and forth and stretched a little bit and was like, all right, let's go. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but uh, in my mind, I'm sitting there and I'm like, my thumb hurts, my hands all taped up. You know, no one could see it, but my rib was all taped up too with some KT tape. Um, I'm all like hurt and stretched out and everything. I'm like, man, my groin's a little bit sore from yoga yesterday. I'm like, fuck, there's no way I can fight today. Like I'm beat to hell. There's no way. And then I'm just like, no, nothing's perfect, but it's still better because of these things that are broken. Like, because I've done, I've taken so much painstaking detail when things go wrong, everything else is still better, you know? And at the end of the day, that's what I kept falling back on is like, you know what? All this shit is details to try to get that extra percent, that extra other percent. But my jujitsu is still fucking good. And I know that. And at the end of the day, that's all you fucking need. I mean, it sounds like a hell of a, a pre-fight workout, you know, like a, like a pre-workout, you know, you get that like no explode kick. Like if I'm talking yeah. to myself the way you're talking to yourself, you know, to get yourself psyched out, that definitely puts you in like it kind of takes away the fear because you're like no i'm not afraid of you and you just keep taking a step closer and closer to that fear and you're, it's like the bully you know when you stand up to it it, it shrinks it seems like you yeah. stood up and you kept going forward step i trained i fought yeah. i overcame you know and all of a sudden yeah. you're like i'm ready yeah and it's like and that's what i kept telling myself is like I, i'd sit there and i'd panic about my thumb and i'd be like there's no way i can compete with a thumb that doesn't work and then i'd be like that's not even my fucking choking hand like most of my, most, my better choking side, I use my left hand. It's just, I'm just kind of better at that side. And so I always, whenever possible, try to set up chokes on that way. So a lot of my game sets up in that direction. Um, and it's like, I don't even use this fucking hand in a way that needs my thumb, but I'm still out there. Like I got to fucking pull out. It's like, no, I don't. Like I just need to relax. And um, someone told me forever ago that when you tell yourself that it's easy, you're admitting that it's worth talking about like it's easy, if that makes sense. So like a perfect example, the example that he used when he told me is like brushing your teeth. When you have to brush your teeth, you don't psych yourself up to go brushing your teeth, to go brush your teeth. Because all you, it's just, it's, you're fucking brushing your teeth. You're twice a day, or you should, right? It doesn't matter. And so that's kind of what I kept falling back on whenever I could is like, why am I even getting psyched up about this? Why do I even have to remind myself all this shit? It's less like brushing my teeth. I literally do this two hours a day, three to five days a week and have for five years. What the fuck is different about a seven minute match on a Sunday afternoon? Just last Sunday, I was in a boarded up gym because they board up the windows so no one can see in. It's like I was in a boarded up gym with 20 of the baddest motherfuckers I know. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was training with a UFC, like a guy who is a ranked UFC fighter wrestling with him. He was fucking my ass up. And it's like, you know what? There is like, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm fine. You know, 
So all of that leads to pretty much the climax of this discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's, it's, it's go time. They announce your yeah. name. You got all the dudes in the fraternity of excellence. Yeah. I'm, I'm live streaming from everybody's watching you. It's it your so cool, moment, right? Dude, it was I the coolest my, thing. Dude, I spent my entire jujitsu career big, trying my damnedest to get one friend to show up to a tournament. And all of a sudden I get my first pro match and there's like two dozen dudes watching on a zoom. My girlfriend's there. I got two buddies in the audience. My mom, my stepdad are watching. I've got friends watching that I didn't even know were watching that hit me up after. And it's just like, man, that was fucking cool. That was really cool. So, so talk me through that, you know, from, from beginning to, to, to bowing and receiving that medal, you know, yeah. what did you black out? Is, you know, are you going to ruin the whole story and you don't remember anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I remember, I remember most of it, especially since I've watched the video like a million times, but. All right. So break it down for so, the listeners. So something that's another kind of point of discussion among the MMA community is how to act prior to a fight. And everybody's got their own opinion, right? Everyone acts differently. You see guys in the UFC who stare each other down. Then you see, then you see other guys who fuck with each other. There's one dude, I can't remember who it was, who a couple of videos came out of like during the stare down, they get really close and then he just kissed the other person. Like everyone does their own, everyone has their own shit. They always fuck with each other. Right. And I think it's awesome. Um, for me, I, I take my pre-fight, or pre-match demeanor very, very loosely. So by that, I mean back in my old lacrosse days, if you've ever seen a lacrosse game, the teams line up on the midfield and the goalies, before the game starts, the goalies cross and shake hands. And one day, my freshman or sophomore year of high school, I don't remember, when I was shaking the other goalies' hands, I, I grabbed his hand, because usually it's just like a high five and we walk it the other way. But I grabbed his hand and I looked him dead in the eye and I said, good luck today before I turned around and it, I watched his whole body. Like, what the fuck did he just say to me? And it, it took him out and he didn't really start off very well that day. And I was just like, I got to fucking remember this. So I started telling everybody good luck. And it would very rarely have that impression, but every now and then it would. And they just like get weirded out for a second. So I was like, okay, I need to take this. And so I brought that into my jujitsu. And so before every match, I just shake his hand. Like, good luck, man. And yeah, I, I could tell that it would fuck with people and somewhere along the line, too, I watched a uh, documentary, um, Pumping Iron, or like a docudrama, Pumping Iron, if you've seen it. I'm sure some of the like, listeners have, too. Um, it's about Arnold and the bodybuilders of the golden age of bodybuilding. And in an interview, they asked Arnold, they're like, how do you treat your, your opponents the night before a show? Like, how, how do, you, do you try to intimidate them and all that? He goes, intimidate? No, no. He's like... I take them out to dinner. I compliment their wife. I, I buy them dinner. I, I treat them very well. I try to become friends with them. And they're like, why? And he's like, so they don't want to beat you. It's like, holy fuck, right? So I really was trying to bring that out on Sunday. So when the guy walked up and we're both sitting there on the warm-up mat, he's like, hey, man, what's up? And I was like, bro, how you doing? Like, whatever. Like, it's good to see you. All this. Like, I was just being super, super friendly. And before we walked off, I shake his hand. I was like, let's have some fun, man, huh? And like all of this is like trying to get him to feel friendly towards me so that he's not turned on and angry, right? I want the, – the thing with intimidation is like you have to – especially someone who's like used to fighting, intimidation only works if you cross their, their threshold of comfort. So a great example is the McGregor-Khabib fight a year or two ago, whenever it was. Connor did everything he could to piss Khabib off, not because of any other reason than he wanted, obviously he wanted the publicity too, but he wanted 
to get Khabib angry so that Khabib wouldn't rely on his technique and he would see red and kind of operate on emotion, right? And he, he just kept doubling down. He insulted his family, his mom, his dad, like everybody he could. He just insulted to try to get Khabib angry. And I personally think that Connor knew that Khabib was going to beat him unless he could get him angry. So I think that was Connor's plan. And so if you watch the fight, as I'm sure a lot of people have, and a lot of people who didn't see it, but know Khabib jumped the fence after the fight and kind of assaulted one of Connor's teammates because he finally let the emotion take over. Khabib's a fucking professional. He's not going to let the emotion take over in the cage. But after, when all that shit is gone and he's already performed, yeah, he might lose his fucking cool. And you can see in the video of the fight, when he was choking Connor, that wasn't a choke. That was a neck crank. He was trying to break his fucking neck. And after Connor tapped, he was not letting go until the ref pulled him off. Um, and that's what happens when you piss off a professional. They just do more damage, right? So in my mind, I'm not trying to intimidate this dude because I don't know how professional he is. I don't know if he's a loose cannon or I don't know if he's going to like settle in more if I piss him off. But I do know that if I make him if I make him kind of want to be friends with me, that's going to at least not do me a lot. You know, I'm starting to wonder if that's why we're friends. Yep. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we step out onto the mat. Um, and I historically, I know this about myself. It's something that I'm trying to work on. Um, I kind of have trouble with slow starts. I always have back in my lacrosse career and my jujitsu career too. Do you mean you start slow? Yeah, or yeah. you're slow to yeah, get yourself in yeah. motion. Yeah, yeah, I okay. start slow. We used to call it getting off the bus, um, off the team bus, you know. And I just I start off slow. So we get in the mat, and I we want to do like a breakdown of the match, so I won't get too much into it. Um, but the gist of it was he took a shot, wound up on top, took mount. Um, I kind of reversed the position, wound up on top passed his guard, tried to seek in a choke. He got out of it. We stood up and then he took another shot. And when he took the second shot, he ate my knee into his forehead. When we do the match breakdown on the other one, we can uh, like kind of break this down. But when he took the shot, he, dude, he ate my knee so hard. My knee was swollen like a grapefruit for two days. Um, you can only imagine what the dude's forehead looked like. So he tried breaking your knee with his face. Pretty much. <laughs> and when he hit it, he kind of dazed and fell back. And then I just threw my hips forward and got on top. And when I did that, I heard him say, damn it. And at that point I was like, this is fucked. Like we're good. I was like, cause I've, I've had a couple matches. The, my style um, is very demoralizing because I move so much and I bait things. And I, I, I fall into people's traps on purpose because I'm setting my own trap. If someone wants something, I'm trying to find a way to give it to them in a way that they don't want it, if that makes sense. Um, so he said that, and I, I've had that happen in matches before. Um, and as soon as he said that, I was like, this dude's fucking toast. Now it's just a matter of time. And then about 30 seconds later, I took the choke. But you still can't take your foot off the gas, though. I mean, no, you don't want to open a window not. and get knocked no, out. No, 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 no. But, but that I, added I, confidence led into you're like, you're all right, right, you just kind of rode that wave, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he said that, I was like, he's fucking mine. It's like it's like shark, it's like uh blood in the water, you know. Yep. Yeah. So he's like ground shark. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so so I actually funny enough, um, I talked to him after the match and uh I told him that. I was like, dude, like how's your head? He's like, Man, that 
fucked me up. I started laughing. I was like, man, when I, when I felt that thunk, I was like, oh, this dude's fucked. And he started laughing. He was like, yeah, I didn't know if I was knocked out. It's like, fuck, man. So then how did it, I mean, what move did you use to end it? Because from my angle, the, the second video looks good and the video will break down. So Nick was saying, you know, when we break it down, we're going to be recording a video. I'll put a link to that under the description of this podcast. So if you're listening, you want to watch it later, just click that link. It'll bring you to my YouTube where Nick's going to kind of do a, uh, some film for us. So this is going to cover all the questions people had, you know, the story behind it. That's going to be much more like, here's the fight. Here's what happened, what you were thinking moves like that. But for you, you know, what was the move that kind of finished it? And when you know you had it and you felt him tapping your thigh, what was that? You know, what went through your, between the ears? So the, the choke that I hit him with, it's called the clock choke. Um, I have been working that choke. You remember when I went down to Brazil three years ago, three and a half years ago, I learned that choke. Actually, I, you know what? Let me break it down. I learned that choke in an intro class five years ago, maybe even five years to the day was when I learned that choke. And I slept on it, you know? I, I saw it and I was just like, cool, like whatever, it's a cool choke, but I never thought anything more about it. People in jujitsu don't really use that choke. It's a very common choke in judo, but just because of the nature of jujitsu, for whatever reason, people don't really use it. But it's always fucking there. And you learn it in your intro class and most people do it wrong. So you try it because you were taught it wrong. You try it wrong. It doesn't work. You shrug it off. You move on, which is what I did in the intro class. But then um, at my old gym, one of, uh, one of the guys gave him his – no, it's like a friend. I, I, the lineage is kind of messy. Anyway – one of the guys who we were affiliated with is a three-stripe Hicks and Black Belt, uh, Hicks and Gracie. And so he's really, really good. Grew up in Rio, like has been training since he was probably five or six years old. And has been a Black Belt for, what, three stripes, 15 years at this point. Probably more. Seven, no, definitely more, obviously, 17, 18. Um, and he showed me his version of that choke. And holy fuck, man, it was absolutely terrible. The best way I can describe how it feels when he hits you with that choke is a freight train on the back of your head. If the railroad was wrapped around your neck and it was pulling that fucking railroad tight around your neck, it's fucking terrible. That's a hell of an image. <laughs> it's awful, dude. Because it's it's like, because you turtle up, so like you're in the fetal position with your face towards the mat. And if you, when you hit that choke right, your hips are on the back of their head, smashing their face into the mat while your arm is pulling up on their lapel. And so when he hits it, it's like all of his body weight, which is being accentuated by the pull on your lapel is just smashing your nose. So it's almost smothering you against the mat unless you turn your head. But if you turn your head, it's cranking your neck. So there's like no fucking pleasant way to get choked. And uh, so once he showed me, I was like, I got to fucking learn this. So I really learned it. And like, I dove into it and like, and it's funny because if you uh, follow me on Instagram over the last couple of days, I shared a bunch of stories of my um of my teammates re reposting my video and all of them were like, Yeah, of course you want to this fucking shit. He's been doing it to us since he was a white belt. What's your um, Instagram handle? It's at Nick Lowry39. Perfect. Um yeah, yeah, good plug. But go. um yeah, so it's just like I've been working that joke for five years, man. And like so it's it's my A game. 
you know, and I've been working a lot on other things. My arm attacks are really not all that great. My leg attacks are absolutely terrible, but I can fucking choke you. So it's like, I've been working those other things, but as it was getting close to match time, I was like, fuck all that. I'm choking this motherfucker. I want his arms. There's a scene, there's a part of the match where he's like giving me his arm and I just push it away. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not taking that turnover. I want your fucking neck. So it's like, I, I don't know how to arm bar you. I'm you made this personal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to beat you that way. I want to beat you this way. Just give well, me a it's minute. Because like, <laughs> the thing is, when you, like, if you, the thing with jujitsu, and I would imagine that chess players will say the same thing about a game of chess. And honestly, I think any sport, if you look deep enough down the rabbit hole, when you play a certain way, people react in a certain way, right? And so if you're playing a way that you've played for years, you know how people are going to react. Right. Like in basketball, if you've got a really, really kick ass zone defense, you know how people react to your zone defense. You've seen maybe if you've played, like if you're a coach, um, you might have been playing a variant of that same zone defense for the past five to 10 years. It's obviously evolved over those years, but it started with something years ago. But you've been playing it for those 10 years. Those other teams you're putting it in against, they see it once a year. They don't see it every fucking day like you do. So you know that rabbit hole deeper than anyone else. All you have to do is force the game down that rabbit hole to a place deep enough that they don't understand what's going on anymore. That's what my chokes are like. That's what my game is like. My whole game, really, I'm honestly, when I look at my jujitsu, I'm like, I am not technically sound. I am not fucking good at a lot of things that make people really good at jujitsu but I'm really fucking good at forcing you to do shit that you don't understand. That's, that's my game. And the way I, you can see it in the way I pass, you can see it in the way I escape bottom side control, bottom mount. I use escapes and defenses that are not fucking normal because I know that the first time I hit you with that, you're going to have no fucking idea what's coming. Right. Second or third time, I might not get away from it. I might not get away with it, but I know the first time I'm going to fucking get away with it. That's all I need. It's cool to hear it that way. You know, it's like you're on a moving you know, platform and you just keep removing any way for him to take a right or left. It's like, we're going down there. I just got to, I got rid of this possibility, that yeah. option. You just take them away, yeah. take them away. Yeah. So now we're at the point where you see the opening, you go for it and you, and you clinch it. Yeah. What's happening there? So... I see. So the first time we can, we can break this really down when we, when we go through the match, but I tried the same choke twice. The first time he reacted to it in the same way that everyone reacts to it, which I was a little sloppy. I should have expected it. I didn't turn the corner fast enough. Um, I think still because I was waking up, you know, but I also defended it in a way that got us back to square one. And when I got back in his guard, I knew that as I passed, he was going to turtle the same way he did the first time. And he was going to set it up the same way. He was going to give me the opening just like he did the first time. Because people don't adjust after one. They adjust after two. So if you can see the pattern in one, you're a step ahead. And so he turtled the same way. And instead of reaching under his arm like I did the first time, I reached around his leg, stopped in that way, and then readjusted to grab his lapel. And that's how I finished the choke. And so it was one of those details, and this is one of the coolest parts I think about like when you really understand your own game in jujitsu or anything else is like someone defends it really well the first time, right? The same way I was saying my game works the first time on like high levels. Like there's a lot of black belts that I can pass their guard, I can get out of their bottom side control, like and all that, but I can only do it once. 
right? And the thing, the, the beautiful part about jujitsu and fighting sports in general is that you just need once. You know, if you watch a football game, there's a lot, there's so many examples of teams like the Patriots in Alabama being down in the first quarter, right? They, there's, there's so many almost Cinderella stories out there of a team going up one touchdown, two touchdowns, even three touchdowns on a, on a uh, dynasty type team in the first or second quarter. And in the second half, they get fucking smashed, right? Alabama comes back and they win by 40 points or some crazy shit like that. It happens fucking every week, right? But it's because they're fucking professional and it's because they, they adjust and they see things and they, they see the pattern in one. They don't, it doesn't take them two times to see the pattern. They see it once and they adjust. And that's what, that's what sets people apart. And so there's a lot of my game that I can get away with on those, those brown belts and black belts. I can get away with it one time. But if it was a full match, I ain't getting away with it again. But if I can take advantage of the one time I have the opportunity to beat somebody better than me because I caught him off guard for 30 seconds, it's all I need. You know what I mean? And over time, I'm working on those details. That's really the focus of my next training cycle is finding is filling those holes. But going out to a fight, it's like, I don't want to fill the holes. I want to strengthen up what I'm good at. So using these little adjustments to this choke that I've learned over the years was really cool because it's like, I saw you adjust. You didn't adjust fast enough. I'm beating you now. Right. So I choked him and he tapped, but I wasn't sure if it was a tap. So I didn't let go. And you, I don't think you can see that first t- couple taps in the video. And then he started like panic tapping. And I saw that one. I, I definitely yeah, saw that that's one. That's what I let go. Cause I all like, of us right. while it's streaming, we're all like, he's chapping. <laughs> <laughs> we just went nuts. It was awesome to see his little that's hand awesome. fluttering under there. I'm like, mm. yeah, like, yeah, I, I understand enough about the sport to know anything can happen. Super fat. All the fights before yours were like 10 to 15 seconds and yours went much like more than double all those. And I was like, I don't know if this is good or bad. Anything yeah. can happen. You know, you're, you're yeah. rolling around. And then when that happened and we saw his hand fluttering, Dude, it's like you, you won the, the game winning <laughs> touchdown, you know, like yeah. we went nuts. And I and to see you like that, that everything paid off and you did it and you you made the adjustment, you executed the move that you've been practicing for years. Like, how do you, it's, like cool it's like feeling. fireworks, dude. How do you describe that? You're like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It was such a cool feeling because it's like all of that, all of those details, all of that stupid ass preparation of like freaking out about my gi shrinking and all and dude everything is just like in that moment it was like the past month of chaos since my rib everything validated right then you know and it's it just gets me really really excited for like future matches you know and like round two and three and maybe a title match and like um getting up on a bigger promotions and then title matches on those and then like just taking it as far as i can and like you know the most validating moment one of the most validating moments of my entire life was when we won the national championship back on the lacrosse And because it was like, when you win at that scale, everything you've done up to that point doesn't matter. You won. You came out on top. For just those couple minutes, you're on top. And uh, so this was that same feeling, but to a much, much smaller degree, you know? Um, so it just gets me really excited. Why, why do you say smaller? Because when I think of it, you know, you won as a team. And in this moment, you you have a fighting team for sure. Yeah. But you were literally in the most isolated position you could be. And you only won because of 100% of your yeah. actions and efforts. 
I, like, yeah, I feel I like know. that's more satisfying. I don't know. Maybe it is more satisfying. I don't know. It's hard to tell, you know, because it's like six years apart and I try to like not blow myself up too much. You know what I mean? So it's like, been literally less than a week. So I'm going to, I'll talk to you in two weeks, you know, offline and we'll see where your head's at then. Sure. 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 <laughs> sure. I mean, it felt really fucking good. I ain't going to, I'm not going to lie. And you know what? It felt just as good watching my girl win because she had two, right? So she had the one before me. She lost that one. Um, but then she came back and won the second one and uh with that arm bar that i was yelling at her to break her arm with and like felt so good to watch her win and then like for both of us to just be riding that high the rest of the night it was just like you can't explain that kind of a feeling no that was wicked cool you know you know we talked after and she was in the jeep and i'm like yeah "Yeah, dude like that's or i guess not you know you weren't at colorado so you're in the car but it was cool to be talking to two winners you know you guys went out you did your job and i told you man like your past self was watching like we worked so hard. Your future self will always look back like that was the one that cemented. That was the first, you know, all yeah, in, yeah. you know, at that level. Yeah, yeah. And that's just yeah. to me, my only like advice. Like I don't, I'm not in this arena, dude. This isn't my mm. field of expertise, but I do understand you. And I was like, man, if you just go down there and you have a good time and you're that Nick, that's when you yeah. flow. Like that's yeah. when I see your yeah. best self come out, you know. And that was really yeah. cool to see. Yeah, dude. You know, I. uh Back in my lacrosse days, like I had my best games and I was just confident as hell, talking shit, having fun, like just in the moment. And that's exactly where I was on Sunday. And it took all of that crazy preparation just to, you know, it's funny because we go through all this stuff. We train two or three hours a day, six days a week. We eat all the right food. We sleep a bunch. We talk to the right people. We sort of all this shit. Also that for five minutes, we just feel like ourselves. That's it, you know, but it's what you got to do. You know, uh, Jackie, she had asked me, you know, like, are they normally this quick? I'm like, that's kind of how it goes. <laughs> you have a lot of, lot of preparation and you're done in two minutes. You yeah. know, <laughs> like it, yeah. that's just the nature. Dude, of the and those were all like, all those matches had a seven minute time limit. Like that could have been a seven minute match if he hadn't tapped to that, you know? Mm-hmm. But honestly, if he hadn't tapped to that, he would have gone to sleep. So. <laughs> It's a good thing. I'm glad it went out the way it did. So Uh, I have a bunch of questions for you, but before we get into those, I I want to, let's talk post fight, you know, from from receiving the medal to that night and then you going to sleep. What was that like, you know, between what was going through your head, who were you thinking of, you Mm -hmm. know, and when you were reflecting on your journey, were there any moments where you had some insights of like, all right, this is why I do what I do. Yeah, man. Like, um, so afterwards went out with a couple buddies from FOE. Um, we went out, got some really fucking good barbecue over at Terry Black's, um, down in Austin. I might've skipped that part that we were in Austin. Um, but, um, got some really good barbecue. And then Sarah and I just went back to the Airbnb and did what winners do for the night. Um, we went out, we got a whole bunch of donuts, ate our hearts out, drank until, well, we didn't we were, she got a little bit drunk. I was okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, just kind of enjoyed ourselves, took the night off. And then the next morning was right back at it, back at meetings at 9am. And, uh, we were going to go train Monday night. Cause one of my buddies owns a gym down there and I didn't know he was in Austin. I thought he was in Houston. Um, but I ran into him at the match, talked to him a little bit. He invited us to come train with them. We were going to, but she popped a rib really bad on her second match. I think, um, so he was like, you know, let's just take a night off. But then, uh, yeah. And then yesterday I came back to Denver. Um, I walked into my house because of traffic and all that. I walked into my house at like 545 
last night and was out the door by 5.55 to head over to Logos because I was training last night um, for a couple of reasons. One, because I wanted to set the standard that I'm not taking a whole week off after I fight because it was only a two, it was a two minute match. Like I trained for an hour, two hours. Like I didn't get beat up. The only thing with my knee was swollen from when homeboy smashed his head into it. Like it's fine. Um, so I was just like, I need, I wanted to set the standard for myself that like, yeah, I might take it easy. I might start, I might take dial down the intensity, but I'm by no means taking time off. Um, but as luck would have it smashed the hell out of my shoulder last night. And now it's really sore. So I might have to actually take a week or two off, but, uh, yeah, that, and then also I've got a lot of teammates and this was, I think more important too. I've got a lot of teammates who went out of their way to help me for this match and, a lot of them have a big tournament coming up in early March and I want to get them ready. So I was just kind of back at it, trying to get that figure back to them. And I hope that that point isn't missed on those listening, you know, within 48 hours of returning from your fight, you were back training and training those who have the next fight. You were helping the next guys up who helped you. And I, I don't think there's any more clear of an indication that someone is committed to the team and committed to the craft than that. You didn't go back, you know, flexing your nuts you know hey look at me check out my medal you came back and you said hey guys yeah i went down i fought i won all right who's up next let's start training yeah. you you it's your turn now you know and that's yeah. a, a you know i've learned i hate the word humble you know i don't use that word anymore because it's inferior but you went back and you were respectful you respected the art and you respected your brothers who gave their time to you and you returned it back to them and that I, to. I hope that's never lost and i hope those listening understand that when you go out and you achieve success that's also your brother's success. So when you win, I win. I was so pumped yeah. that when that happened for you, Zach yeah. won. But yeah. now you come back and now you're like, well, in this podcast, hey, let me break this down. Let me let me give my time to you for your listeners. And then you're literally physically training your brothers in the gym, you know, the green room, whatever. So yeah. it's it's good to see that. I mean, that's it's not a maturity thing. It's, it's a true honor thing. And it's just badass to see that's how think- the type of man you are. I think honor is a really good word for it, you know? Um, and I, I do that because I would expect the same, you know, we all get our time off. We all need our time off. You know, like when you, like now my shoulders fucked up. It's like, you know what? I'm fucking tired of being hurt. I'm really, I've been hurt for three damn years. I'm trying not to be, but I keep getting hurt. And like, I mean, it's cause I don't take enough time off. So I don't know. But I do think that like, I know that like, because of what we were just talking about, about like my style and how off the wall it is. Like, I know that people who train with me are not going to get caught off guard. Like my opponents are, you know, my, I've, I can't even tell you how many people after our first role have looked at me and said, I have never rolled with someone who moves like you do. Cause it's just weird, you know, cause I, my lacrosse back, I don't know anyone else in the jujitsu community at my level or higher who also played lacrosse at my level, you know? specifically as a goal and being a goalie you have like very just you have a very distinct set of footwork that you work on that gives you a lot of balance in certain directions and a lot of explosiveness in certain directions and i spent seven years drilling those same damn things i use a lot of those moves today in my jiu-jitsu i also climb a lot i use a lot of my climbing in my jiu-jitsu there's a lot of cross steps in climbing where you're stepping one leg through across the other and that's generally frowned upon in all grappling in like especially stand up like wrestling and sparring like in muay thai right you're never supposed to cross your feet you know i cross my feet all the fucking time because i know that you're not supposed to 
And I know you've been being told since you were a white belt that you're not supposed to. So you don't expect me to. But you know what? If you cross your feet, you can move a lot of fucking distance real fucking quick. So it's been a lot. So a lot of things like that that I do that are off that are out of the uh, out of the ordinary that I'm like, you know what? I know that there's no one else who rolls like I do. Actually, the, you know what? The one person I know who rolls very similarly to me is my fucking girlfriend. And she learned it independently of me. So it's been super cool getting a role with her and like kind of seeing that because like she's she's a, a new blue belt. Um, and so knowing that like she kind of moves where I was a couple years ago is really fucking cool because um, everything I show her is like immediately applicable into her game and like watching her do things that I'm showing her is like it's such a it's such a cool feel. Um, you know, they say like, you have types, like yeah, apparently yeah, yeah. your type is unorthodox fighting style type. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's just, you know what? It's like, no one, I, I, I owe it to my teammates to be in the gym. You know, they need to see, they need to see styles like mine. I don't have a bread and butter style that everybody, like, I don't have a, like a vanilla style. You could say it's a little bit funky, you know, and I owe it to those guys to give them that look as much as I possibly can. Well, that's good. Hey, it's a good look, you know? And like I said, I know you could be taking a nap right now to heal that shoulder, but I've got you up on here with me and it's, it's not lost. And I guarantee it's not lost on them either. Especially when like some weirdos fighting them all crazy. Nobody's going to catch them off guard if you're doing it. That's my point. <laughs> They're going to be ready. Like, yeah. And, and I take that really seriously because, you know, back on my, I talk about that national championship all the time because it was the first time in my life I was really surrounded by a winning team. Um, but the shadow above that story, the sh- excuse me, the shadow over that story was that that was my redshirt season. I didn't see the field that entire season. And, you know, that's, it's one of those things like for it to be such a defining moment in my life, even though I wasn't on the field is kind of, you know, it a bit hypocritical, I think sometimes, but, it, it, but reality, it was like that, that team taught me how to win. And they taught me the mentality that I am now applying in my jujitsu career, you know, and like, yeah, I say it was a much lower degree this weekend, but honestly, in a lot of ways, it was a much higher degree because it's like, I fucking did that. I wasn't a part of the team that did that. I fucking did it, you know? So, but it took that champion, it took that team to make me understand that you win because of details. You know, we used to have to rerun sprints when someone would turn the wrong way on shuttle sprints. We'd always have to turn the same way. And if someone turned the wrong way, we'd have to run the damn thing over or if we missed a line or anything like that, we'd be running more. If someone forgot to bring some of the balls to practice, we'd be running all fucking practice. Um, things like that. It was just like this attention to detail that came from that, that I really focused, like I said, the mama mentality on this uh, on this match of just like everything possibly under my control and controlling it. That's awesome. And I look forward to, to seeing where it takes you. You know, that mindset is, you're not going down. <laughs> There's only more ways to go up. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going to see I it. Mean, I'm, I'm just trying to pivot with things, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like find the things that I'm good at and really, really be as good as I possibly can. Again. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. It just kind of felt natural from the start. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Before I dive into these questions, was there anything we didn't cover from the fight or anything you wanted to add? Dude, I don't think so. That was um, good. Yeah. I appreciate the breakdown. That's, that's mm-hmm. in depth. And that's really what we were talking before recording is yeah. you don't really find that perspective many places online. You know, that's why I like the the angle you took on all this. Thanks. You know, and, and I was, as I was telling it, I was thinking like a lot of this stuff is very, very specific information. 
you know, a lot of this whole podcast is things like there's a lot of it that is applicable to everybody, right? The mindset of things, the detail orientation, the um, the preparation and all that, but the specifics of like how I cut weight and the match itself and my gi shrinking and, and things like that, that's not applicable to other things. And so that's, I think, partly why you don't find conversations like this very often because they don't have a huge market, you know, it's just, you know, people who aren't in jujitsu might not listen to this podcast even in the first place, you know, maybe they'll get into jujitsu after it. Maybe I hope so. <laughs> I hope a so. Whole new wave. But I really, what I really hope that this reaches is people who are blue belts and white belts who are starting to get serious about it. And who were like me a couple years ago, who were like, I'm going to get my purple belt and then I'm going to get on the pro mat. And, or they're, they're, they've got their eyes on those big tournaments and they're really trying to do this. And it's like at a high level. And they're the guys that I want to get to because the first one is fucking stressful, you know? And, and I'm, I'm lucky I've competed. I've done 20, 30 tournaments, maybe more. I've done a ton of tournaments. And so I'm used to the competition of jujitsu, but this was my first like professional match. So we're about to dive into the, the Q and a aspect of this mm-hmm. before we do though, for somebody that's like right now, like he's talking to me, where should people reach out to you if they want to ask you questions or specific to their training, their, their weight, you know, their jujitsu at large, if you will. Honestly, the best way you're going to get to me is on my Instagram at Nick Lowry 39. I've got less followers over there. So it's like less chaotic than my Twitter. But if you hit me up on Twitter, that's another way that I'll, I'll eventually see it. It's at Nick Lowry. And that's Lowry, L-O-W-A-R-Y. All right. All right, let's dive into these questions. You ready? Yep. Yep. All right, first, what is your process of getting into the flow state right before the match? So I have tried to figure that fucking question out for years, and I finally have the answer to it. I got it, actually. The first time I took a gold medal was back in September of 2018, when we did the September of success with FOE and we had to do push-ups every damn day. And my warm up for that tournament was a hundred fucking push-ups. And then I went and took home gold. And so what that taught me was do some fucking push-ups. And so I started doing the push-ups, but then I was thinking like, maybe my arms are getting a little bit sore because I could feel it in some of my matches sometimes. So I was like, maybe not push-ups, but I think the premise of the push-ups was that they were hard and then they got my heart rate up. And what I have used, what I've done my whole life is run sprints. So I started running shuttle sprints before every tournament. And there's a definite difference when I do shuttle sprints or sprints in general versus when I don't. So sprint. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw two things out there. <laughs> I now claim part of your success. At yeah, absolutely. 0.1%, I'm going to throw out there for getting you to do those pushups. Yep. Second thing, when we were watching, we saw you fly by the screen. I was like, I think that was Nick. That looked like the side of his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were flying the other way. We're like, oh, that was definitely Nick. And you're yeah, just going yeah, back yeah. and forth on the screen. Yep. We're like, what the yep. hell is he doing? Yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you definitely do, that do sprints. I, That's a real thing. I look like a fucking crazy person. I'm the only one doing it because no one does that shit. Because everyone's like, oh, I'll just like flow roll a little bit. And I'm like, oh, but I'm like, no, motherfucker. You need to get your heart rate up. You need to work really fucking hard. You know, this, there's something I was thinking about today, actually. When you go into a big negotiation, um, at work or a big um, match or anything like that. Like the first competition of the day, whatever that looks like, cannot be also the first time you're a journal and dumps that day or the first time you fight in a journal and dump, right? You need to get your heart rate up 
before you're in a situation where your heart rate has to get up because you're not going to be there already. You're not going to be ready. And I know that when I run just enough, when I push just a little bit and it gets my heart rate up and it gets things going and I'm ready, when I'm done, I'm like, I might be out of breath for a minute, but I'm like, let's fucking go. It's go time. Yeah. All right. Next question. How do you avoid freezing up in the middle of a match? I've never had that problem. Um, I saw that question actually. Maybe a better take since it doesn't happen to you. So the the person asking said they freeze up once it's go time. What what advice would you have for somebody that maybe you're training with? Get really, really aggressive, really fast. Just start um, doing things. Just start just moving. Just do something. Just create motion. Um, you know, there's there's times I'm caught off guard, you know, we'll slap bump. And if you notice, I kind of bent, I kind of bent over after we shook hands to start the fight and then kind of stepped to the side a little bit. I've started doing that and just like getting loose and aggressive real quick. Um, but I still kind of get caught off guard if he takes a shot quickly. Um, and you know, so that is something I think I need to work on a little bit is like, like I said earlier, like getting off the bus faster and for someone who has a serious problem freezing up in whatever they're doing, you know, make the first move, have go out there with a definite game plan, not the whole game, but the first five seconds, the opening move of like, if you're in jujitsu, right. It's like, or a wrestler, you know, it's like, all right, we're going to shake hands. The ref's going to start. And the first thing I'm going to do is blast a double from across the mat. And it's probably going to get stuffed. And I might even lose the match, but I got to beat this damn habit of freezing up. And if I can lose one match, but beat that habit and break that open for all my other matches later, either in that day or in future tournaments, that's worth it because we're here for the long game. We're not here for a short, like just for the short game. So, you know, that's, I guess that would be my advice is just pick something you can do that's really, really aggressive right off the rip and just let it ride. Roll the dice and see what happens. <laughs> it sounds a lot like me. That's pretty much my approach to everything is like, <laughs> just go and figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. All right, next question. Uh, how did you feel about your opponent? So I know you said you didn't watch film and actually that was one of the questions. So mm-hmm. you didn't study on him. So I guess this two part, we're going to change it a little bit. Once you found out who you were going against and you got the Intel report, how, how did that make you feel? What was your first, you know, all right, this is the dude and this is what he's good at. Not good at go yeah. time. It made me feel a little bit better. Um, you know, and I, I, but I also didn't want to put any stock into it because I know that my coach is also the kind of guy to be like, Oh, you got this when like, you really do not got this, you know? <laughs> um, so I didn't want to put like too much stock into it, but at the same time, like it was nice to at least know that like, cause the report from Kano was, he's not really all that great at a bunch of stuff, but he's really durable. So if you get him in anything, just hold on to it. Eventually he'll tap. And uh, it was like, okay. And it was a really spot on thing. You know, he was aggressive. He was durable. Um, and when I got him in that choke, I knew immediately this fucker's tight. This dude's going nowhere, but he still didn't tap for a while. You know, that choke, when that comes on someone who's not like settled internally, I guess they're tapping damn near before I finished putting it off. Thing comes on tight and he let me sit in it for a second or two. Um, But, and I might've even, had I not heard that from Kano, I might've even transitioned to something else instead of just holding the line. So it was really good to hear that. Um, and 
I, how I felt about my opponent. I really tried not to um, put too much stock into it. Like the guys in FOE, when I posted the photo, like they were talking shit about him and all of that. And like, I really tried not to be a part of that, you know, and I appreciated the sentiment. Right. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I met him. I talked to him before and after the match, like a lot. I, I actually showed him what I did to him after the match. He was asking, like, he's like, what choke was that? Like, show me how you did that. And like, I showed him and all of that. And like, he's a really, really cool dude. And I don't want to take that away from him. And I don't want to talk any disrespect on him. Um, there's obviously holes in his game. There's obviously holes in my game too. And I just got to exploit one of the holes in his. And, um, but at the end of the day, like, I don't, I don't try to, get too wrapped up in putting him down or building him up or anything like that. At the end of the day, it's like, there's an old saying winners, losers focus on winners, but winners focus on winning. And that was the only thing on my mind. I'm not worried about him. I'm worried about what I have to do to him. That's well said. All right. Next question. Do you have any self-talk or any phrases you repeat to yourself either game day or during prep time? Yeah. And that, I mean, like we were talking about earlier, you know, the big one is uh, I just kind of keep reminding myself that I train with really fucking tough people people that I know that if, if, if someone beats me, it's not because of my training wasn't good. And just being able to trust my training, you know, even though I'm focusing on all these other details and getting everything else right and trying to make sure there's nothing else on my mind to worry about, there's still things that go wrong. And just at the end of the day, being able to fall back on the idea that I'm training in one of the MMA hotbeds around the country um, and specifically jujitsu hotbeds, Denver's a great spot for jujitsu. And to be not only training at Logos um, with Vieira and some of the other guys that are just like world-class competitors, but also to have the underground network where I'm training with guys at gyms across, you know, across the city that are also high-level competitors that have won many, many pro matches and to get rounds in with guys in the UFC. You know, last night, a guy in the UFC, Neil Magny, um, for those who have heard of him, he just swung by our gym last night and he signed up and it's like, shit, he literally had a fight a week ago. He fought Kiesa last Wednesday. He lost. And so he showed up. I was talking to him. Uh, I got around him with, when I got around in with him last night before I lit up my shoulder and I was asking him, I was like, so what, uh, what brought you in here? And he's like, well, like, you know, we, we've been doing a lot at my, uh, at my gym over at elevation. We've been doing a lot, but I, there's a couple holes in my game that Kiesa showed me. And so I'm here making adjustments and working on all jujitsu. And it's like, man, that's, that's the humility that world-class guys have. That's good. You know, to maintain that it's like, you look at Tom Brady, you know, he loves playing football and that's why he's the goat. You know, yeah. he just loves the, the crap. You look at Eminem. Why is he the best rapper? Because he, he's, he loves the craft. That's his, yeah, his thing. Yeah. He, he honors it and respects it. So yeah, they, exactly. there's no difference. You, you think of fighting as more brute force because it's fighting, but there's so much respect and honor and, and yeah. there's a lot more to it when you actually understand the culture. Yeah, dude. And, and you know, and, um, it's funny you bring that up. Um, I, my PT actually, that was helping out with my rib. He used to be a PT for the Patriots back in the early 2000s. I think I've told you this story. Um, I know I told you this story, but for the, for those listening, um, he was a PT for the Patriots and, and back before Brady was Brady, you know, back when he was still the goofy dude with like a seven second 40 time and uh, was good, had potential, but nowhere near the goat that he is today. And he used to sit there and he would mind throwing a football without a football for hours and hours. And then he would get um, my PT and the equipment guy out there and he would make them run seven and outs for 
hours and hours. He would just peg them with footballs over and over. And uh, he, my guy was saying that he used to just be covered in bruises and his hands would be all torn up. And Brady would keep making him run these damn routes for three extra hours before and after practice every single day. And he, cause he couldn't get his own receivers to do it. Cause they were like, bro, you got to chill, take a rest day. Brady was like, fuck you. There's work to be done. And now whose name do we know? You know? And it's like, you just keep fucking working. I told my kids that story. It's so cool, right? I knew you <laughs> After you told it's me, so cool. I told my mother-in-law, I was like, guess what? A friend of a friend. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's so cool. And like, you know, and, and, in, and there's another story recently like that. Um, this guy, Dom, um, I'm forgetting his last name right now, but he's a, he's an Athos Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Andre Galvao, which is where my, uh, my coach, Liera got his from. And so they're good friends. They go way back and, uh, Dom came back or Dom came through Denver to train. He trains out in San Diego, but he stopped in for a week or two out here back in November when I first signed up at Logos. And so when I first signed up at Logos, me and the rest of the green room team, the underground team, we swung in for, to try out a class. One of the guys we train with uh, who just actually moved down to Texas, his name's Sean. And he, he was a white belt, but he was also a D2 wrestler in college. And he's this short little dude who is just an absolute shit house. And he's just so strong and he's so technically sound with his wrestling. He is not a fucking white belt. He's a blue belt now, but at the time he was a white belt. And it was like, he's a white belt, but he is not a fucking white belt. You know, he could almost be a purple belt. He fucks me up some days. Um, and I say some days. He fucks me up most of the time. And um, he's over there. And, and so when I was there, when I, this first day we were at Logos, Dom had just taught a class. And we're talking about another world-class competitor. Right. This guy's won, I think, a couple world titles. He's very, very good. If you're in the jiu-jitsu community, you've probably at least heard of this guy. And um, I was rolling with someone else, and I glanced over my shoulder, and I see Dom, who's like a six-foot-two, 220-pound behemoth of an athlete. I see Sean's little five-foot-seven ass picking Dom up into the air, and Dom's in the air like, holy fuck, this little white belt is throwing me around. But it's because Sean's wrestling so good, right? And like Dom wound up like beating him later in the round, whatever. Um, but the important part was after class, everyone's like shake, everyone's chilling out. And Dom, I was sitting there talking to Sean, and Dom walks right up to Sean and goes, Bro, I gotta have you show me what you did. And so the three of us sat there, and I was kind of their dummy. And the three of us sat there for another 30 minutes, and Sean was just showing Dom what he was doing, and Dom was just repping it over and over. We're talking about a world-class black belt learning from a white belt very very humbly asking a lot of questions not interjecting at all listening trying to figure out exactly what sean was doing and really really learning the technique that sean was teaching him and that kind of humility that kind of honor and respect is what gets you to that level and when you get to that level you don't forget that because you know that that's what got you there reputations are huge and Absolutely. I, I instill that in my wife my kids you know myself obviously it's huge. And I do believe that we've lost that focus as, as a society, but in the, again, in cultures like that, you learn quick, what you do, what you say, how you act, that all matters, you know? Yeah. And I was listening to a podcast with Jack Donovan and AJ, and they were talking about AJ's experience learning Muay Thai and just what it was like over there when he was in Thailand. And mm-hmm. he was talking about, you know, in a lot of Western places, we think of the brain, you know, your soul's in the brain. This is where you, it, it all comes from. It stems from, He's like in Thailand, it's from the heart. Yeah. And they look at they look at fighters, you know, does your heart, do you have the heart of a fighter? And yeah. it's, it's interesting to think of it that way because again, this notion of it's combat, 
Therefore, it's just brute warriors, punch, lift, fight. And in all honesty, it's so much more on levels that you can't see. But when you think about the heart of a fighter, it's just incredible. You know, the, the amount of respect that's placed on the men who understand what it takes to get into the ring. You know, you facing that other dude, even though you were there to beat him, you had to respect your opponent because he did everything to get to that spot too. Everything you did, he did. There's no way you accidentally ended up there. You had the heart to put yourself there. And that's the coolest part of all of this, right? Like I'm telling you this story and everyone's listening and all that. And like, yeah, I I know it's inspiring to people because I know that five years ago I listened to it and I'm like, damn, that is so cool. But like, you know, the day, like there's people doing this shit all the time somewhere, whether it's jujitsu or Muay Thai or fucking golf or something else, you know, like there's always someone out there working towards a dream and there's always someone out there getting a dream. And it's so cool to me. You know what's awesome? And I've not really shared this because I understand like when I was one day sober, I said, I'm not drinking anymore. And now I'm 200 days sober and people might listen to me because there's more days under it. But I was like, I said the thing you're not supposed to say. So again, I'm going to do that with Muay Thai. I want to fight before I'm 35. I'm 33. I turn 34 next month. So I'm I'm giving my, like in one year, if I really dedicate myself to this, I want to go fight somebody. And I know if I go out there, I might get wrecked. You know, like, like I'm, oh, but that's the thing. Knowing full well, here's how I see it. I have my kids in jujitsu. My son goes out there and plays baseball and I have all these photos. Hey, look at him going and pitching. Look at him batting. He's alone in that arena. My daughter with cheerleading, she goes out there. She did basketball. She did soccer. She goes out there and competes. How much longer as a father am I going to tell my kids and cheer them on from the sidelines without them ever seeing me enter the ring? You know, that weighs on me so heavily. And I want to show them I have that same heart. I have that desire to go out there and to challenge myself. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, I hope it inspires them and shows them that my father does what he asked me to do. You know, and when he says, you've got to go and push yourself when you're sore or go ahead and lift. You know, I was lifting before I did this. And right when we're over with this, I'm going to Muay Thai. And they, they see that. And I hope that instills that the value of physical strength and pushing through and things like that. But you know, when you talk about heart, respect, you know, all that, it's, it's not just for fighting. Like that's for family. That's for life. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing that the thing with fighting sports in general, it's different from other sports. And I can say this as someone who has competed at a high level in both a higher level in lacrosse. The difference with a combat sport is that it's closer to your soul. Every man thinks he can fight. Whether you actually can or not is up for debate. Up for debate if you've never trained. If you've never trained, you can't fucking fight. But if you've also never trained, you don't know that you can't fight. So it's close to your soul. You know, we were bred for violence in a lot of ways. You know, you look at any tribal society. Us, I mean, still, we go to war every fucking year, you know? we. So anyway, point is, it's close to who we are. And... When you go out there, like let's say your girlfriend's in the stands and you go out there on, on the field for a football game or a baseball game or a lacrosse game. Hopefully she doesn't you know. need my wife. Huh? Hopefully my girlfriend <laughs> doesn't need Hopefully Jackie doesn't find out. <laughs> uh, who knows? Maybe they know each other. Uh, but like your girlfriend, your wife, your significant other is in the stands and they watch you go compete. That's your art. You're putting it out there. It's a sport, right? But when you go out there to fight, there's something primal in you that says, that tells you, and it's completely ridiculous, but it's in there in your mind that it's like, if I lose this, she's going to go home with that fucking guy instead of me. And it's like this crazy feeling in the back of your head that like, it's completely unfounded in reality, at least present day reality, a combat sport reality, you know, but it's, it's there, you know? 
Well, when I'm you look at with... it though, if you if you knocked him out, you know, he tapped you, you just choked him out, that you could have killed him. At the if we really boil it down, if this was a fight, yeah, yeah, yeah. the winner of oh, the yeah. fight could have killed the other person. Yeah, yeah, we joke about it like it's murder. Yeah. You know, sure. like if, when yeah. you win a fight, you beat that man. Like that's gotta be there's a unique element to that that if you've not experienced it, you know, I've never been knocked out in a fight. I fought, you know, I've wrestled, I boxed, you not professionally, but like just in mm. pump rooms and on the ship, you know, when you get bored of deployment, yeah, you yeah, beat yeah. The crap. Nothing to the level where I was literally laid out in front of people and and have to get up and pick myself up and look myself in the mirror and say, Well, you gave your best. You know, Dude. I'll I'll tell you when I hit that moment, I'll figure it out. But until then, it's just LARPing. It's just me pretending yeah. and thinking I know what's gonna happen. But yeah, you've been doing it. I'm now entering this this world of yours. Yeah. And then, like I was telling you, I look forward to the day I can be banging on the mat on the side telling you to break somebody else's arm, like kill them. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? But dude, and, and it's you know, it's it's an interesting thing with with combat sports, you know, because you do get knocked out. You know, there's a there's a, a clip of Joe Rogan talking about it where he's like the thing with jujitsu is that it is pretend murder, you know, like the thing with the tap is like, okay, you got me, you killed me, you murdered me, right? Because it's like if I break if it's an arm attack, like, sure. Yeah. Like you break my arm. I can still fight, but your arm's broken. And I already beat you once with two working arms. Now you've got one broken arm. You're probably not going to beat me. And that's actually how John Jones got his nickname bones. He let his arm break in an arm bar and then he won the fight. But that's like otherworldly. That shit doesn't happen. Right. Um, odds are, if I break your arm or break your leg, the next thing I'm going to do to you is choke you out. or I'm going to kick you in the head and knock you out. Like it's a, it's a crazy thing to think about, but when you tap, you're effectively saying like, okay, you could have killed me. That's why it's called a submission. You know, it's not crazy. All it right. is, dude. We went down a, a solid sidebar there with yeah, a lot yeah, of information, yeah. but my yeah. readers are going to get pissed if I don't get their questions out. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So we're going to skip the next one because it, it is, would you have broken his arm if necessary? We Absolutely. know the answer. We, we know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, this was a good one. Did watching the video... Uh, did anything surprise you when you watched the video? Yes, absolutely. I looked way more calmer than I felt. Oh, interesting. I thought you were going to talk about moves or no. Bro, that's no, cool. no, no. Like watching me walk out, I looked fucking calm and all that shit. And in my head, I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> my son said you looked like McGregor when you were walking Dude, I, out. I actually you had I the swag. I had that too. I thought that too when I saw that. Yeah, yeah. It's it was good like though. to a smaller degree, but I mean, it was good. Like, you know, and I say that because like on the on the side of the mat when I was warming up, like that voice in the back of my head telling me to pull out was a lot stronger than it was once I walked on the mat. I kind of just enjoyed the moment once I walked out there. Um, but it was still there in my head. Like I definitely did not feel as confident as I look in that video. But moves and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just the same thing as watching game film. Like anyone who's played a sport who's rewatched some of their film, every time you you look at it, you're like, why was I doing that? Or I thought that looked different, or I thought I was doing that right, but I was doing it wrong. Things like that. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. But it's good. That's a good interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, funny yeah. though. And I, I do want to highlight this, you know, for those who are listening that maybe you're going to find yourself wanting to start or get into something, or you finally had that motivation. Two days ago was my first class. And like, right before I drove to go there, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm so busy. I have all these, yeah. like, what am I doing throwing myself in this new endeavor? And I was like, in that moment, I was like, that's exactly why I'm doing it. Of course. Like, let's go. And like, it just went away. Like it came yeah. in my head. I looked at it. It was like, all right, get out. I'm going like, no matter what. But yeah, that's why I do it because yeah. I have to overcome that. So it's good to hear that you overcame it as well. We all do, man. You know, all it's right. imposter syndrome. The, There's yeah. a story. Um, Neil Gaiman 
who wrote American Gods. He was talking about how he wound up at this like dinner or something, this event with a whole bunch of people. And he actually wound up meeting Neil Armstrong. And when they were talking, it was a whole bunch of famous people. And Neil Armstrong was like, man, I mean, of both of us, Neil, you seem like you're the one who's more fitting to be here. And he was like, bro, you were on the fucking moon. But, you know, you still have that imposter syndrome, right? Where like you do something cool, like go to the fucking moon. You kind of, because I think of the nature of greatness, of like doing those things that are like world changing, like you don't, it's so crazy and so out there that you kind of feel like it was magic and you don't even feel like that was you. And so you just kind of have this in your head. You're just like, uh, yeah, just some, that was something else operating in my body. That didn't mean, but it is. you. It's interesting. Yeah. The human mind's interesting at large. It is, man. But that, that sort of segues into the final question. And I don't know if you've already answered this, but let's let's look at this from a going back to square one from when you were a kid looking up like I'm going to do this. You know, you, you walk into that gym for the first time to winning. Did you work on your demeanor and presence throughout that process or was that naturally you just here I am? So that's a good one because there's this book I read that we actually uh, that my lacrosse coach had us all read over winter break before the season that we won the championship. It's called with winning in mind. It was by Lanny Basin. And it was to this day, if anyone asked me what one book about performing under stress, you need to read it's that fucking book. Um, the guy who wrote it, Lanny, he's a, uh, well, I think a multiple time Olympic gold medalist in rifle shooting. And if there's anything, anyone out here who's shot before knows it's fucking stressful especially on a competition level. And I'd imagine it's very similar to the stress you get from golf where it doesn't matter where like you can't control what the people you're competing against or can do and are doing. Um, and jujitsu is a little bit different because you kind of can in a way. Um, but with things like that, where it's an isolated sport where you're doing you and you can't control what he's doing, you might have a career high game, but he might have also a career high and he just might beat you and you can't control that. And all you can control is how often you put up career high numbers. And he talks about it and he talks about how like you have to remain calm and all of that. And there's a, there's an interesting loop between your physical actions and your emotional response and your mental response. So what I mean by that is, is like, you know, people say like adopt a power pose before you go into an interview, you know, like shoulders up, stand all excited and all that shit like act like you're powerful because then you'll act powerful and there's a little bit of truth to that you know but if you ever watch an olympic event or a high level like a high level um competition you'll see a lot of people yawning see it a lot man um and that's calming themselves down because when you're when you're calm you yawn right when you're tired when you're relaxed you yawn and you're like all right i'm kind of tired but if you're excited and all that shit, and then you force yourself to yawn, that calms yourself down a little bit. And he talks about that in that book. And so since then, I've been trying to act. And this was what was so cool about seeing myself look more confident than I felt. Because I know that by acting confident and acting relaxed and all of that and loosening everything up and walking out there kind of with that swagger, like it forced me to calm down a little bit. And, you know, if you saw if they had me on the video on the sideline when I was warming up before, you could probably see me on a time or two trying to calm myself down. 
So to answer the question, no, the specifics of it aren't rehearsed. There's not, I want to do this, this, or that. But I do know that if I act confident and I act relaxed, I'm going to become more confident and relaxed because of that kind of cycle. It's a good answer. You know, we did notice it. We were commenting before the match started that he was more stiff. And it's not that you choreographed it, but you gave yourself permission to show it. Exactly. You know, and it's that, a great way to put it. I know. And that is, <laughs> <laughs> but that is, I, it was just the whole thing. The whole thing came together from, from nuts to bolts, everything. It was cool to watch, cool to see the backstory. I appreciate you really breaking this down and taking the time to give the full picture, you know, yeah, man. it's due diligence. It's fun so, to talk about, you know? No, it's great, man. Now, again, I know we brought it up once, but for anybody that's looking to see your fight, looking to touch base with you about getting into jujitsu or their training, the best way to reach out to you. Yeah, you've got my Instagram at Nick Lowry 39. That's L-O-W-A-R-Y, the number of 39. And on Twitter at Nick Lowry, L-O-W-A-R-Y. And if you like coffee, check out Ground Shark. There is yeah, a also <laughs> I own a company. There's a whole separate side of this, man. Yeah, also I own a coffee company called Ground Shark Coffee. Um, I don't want to talk too much about it, but we just went through a big uh, kind of restructuring and we're changing a lot of things going forward. So keep an eye out. Big stuff happening. I was looking at your hat and it reminded yeah. me, I was like, dude, normally we're talking business. We're talking stuff like that. We hadn't talked about it at all. So yeah, good, good plug. And again, I am a huge fan of ground shark. The coffee's legit and I'm somewhat of a coffee snob. Nothing goes in it. Nothing needs to, it, it tastes perfect by itself. I put an ice cube in it cause I don't like it too hot. That's it. Oh yeah. That's weird. I know Jackie hates it. She loves like boiling coffee. And I'm like, no, nah, I would like lukewarm. I'm really glad that that wasn't the first thing I heard about you because I wouldn't have talked. <laughs> we can't be friends. I'm sorry. All right, Nick, I want to, again, thank you for your time. Again, thank congratulations. You, thank you. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you having me. For everybody that tuned in, this has been another episode on the family alpha podcast. Thanks for listening. You can join our private men's only community at the fraternity of excellence.com. And don't forget to find Zach on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Zach small underscore.